Good evening. And thank you for inviting me again to come and bring the Word of God to you. I was, uh, I was interested in one of the announcements that Graham made. Upside down kingdom. Was it you said, Graham? Yeah. It's interesting because that's what was said of the disciples or the apostles and the acts of the apostles um, concerning their witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They turned the world upside down. <laughs> wow. I wish, I wish that our witness was such that this world of ours, this community of ours, these towns of ours was turned upside down. And they came to us saying, what manner of things is this that you're declaring? You know, um, I was in a church not so long ago um, preaching um, on Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we were talking about how much the Spirit of God had moved in the hearts of men and women. And the, the Spirit of God came down in that upper room. And 120 people in that upper room. And all of a sudden the Spirit of God came upon them. And they found themselves speaking in languages that they had never spoken in before. But all of the Jewish proselytes that were there in the town of Jerusalem, they all heard them speaking in their own voice, in their own tongue. And they knew. Those people who had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, thanks Graham, those people who had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ now, they were hearing this God, this God. Now if you go through, I'm not going to do that tonight, I'm not going through Acts chapter 2, I want to speak about something else. But if you go through Acts chapter 2, there are 19 times you will discover this God, this God. This is a man that was approved of God. This man called Jesus, God raised him up from the dead. The very things that they were rejecting, Peter was implying to them and preaching and declaring to them that this was God's approved man, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Um, tonight I want to talk to you on the subject of grace. Grace changes everything forever. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. And I want to read... Have you got a... Differ for... Sandy. Oh, you got it, Sandy. It's all right. All right, that's lovely. Thanks. I hope I get this right, by the way. Yeah. Tonight I want to look at three aspects of grace. Uh, saving grace sanctifying grace and of course sustaining grace we have a wonderful saviour don't we um, and I think it's important that we stand upon the word of God and what God says in his word from Genesis chapter 1 right through to Revelation chapter 22 we don't always understand it but I remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he spoke to the disciples concerning the coming again of the spirit of God and he said this my spirit will lead you into all truth. Now there will be some things from the word of God that will not be revealed to us until a day that lies ahead. But recently, I've had to deal with a lot of things which became attacks on the word of God. For example, God died. When Jesus was crucified, God was killed. Well, I have to say to that, when I was asked, what do you think of that? 
So well, let's go to Acts chapter 2. If God is dead or has been killed, this same Jesus, says Peter, God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. Quite simple. Let's go back to the word of God and let's stand on the word of God. Then, of course, we got... Um, the resurrection was not really a literal resurrection. You know, it was, it was mystical. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, we are yet in our sins. Our faith is vain, and we are of all men most miserable. Oh dear. It's, it's as bad as God being dead, isn't it? You know? I'm glad that God is immortal. The Bible says that concerning God. He's immortal. He cannot die. In theological terms, and, and I don't know if there's any theologians amongst us tonight, but they talk about the aseity of God. That means that God is self-existing. He's neither beginning nor end. He wasn't begotten. He is. Uh, when we get to Hebrew, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 3, we read there, uh, when the, the Lord was sending Moses to the children of Israel, he says, who will I say has sent me? He says, I am that I am. And that's how God describes himself. He's not only immortal, he's immutable. That means he can't change. If God had to die, that would inflict a change in the being of God. Impossible. Can't happen. And uh, he's invisible, isn't he? God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I asked the question, if God died, how could it be possible? For the Bible tells us that God is spirit and hath not flesh and blood, as we have. Impossible for God to die. And so my confidence tonight is in a God who is alive. My faith and belief is this, that God is and he presents himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity, the triune God. He lives in Father, eternally in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful God we have. That's something that we might not be able to comprehend. Because the vastness of the Trinity is, I think, beyond our comprehension. But wow, what a God we have. And this God comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He witnesses to us, doesn't he? Um, the Spirit witnesses to us that we are children of the living God. Our lives have been transformed. Isn't that wonderful? Changed. I was looking at the words of the hymn. I don't know if we can pull it back up. I mean, uh, wonderful grace, Graham. Can we pull that back up? Sometimes, you know, when we sing hymns, they just really become words to us and we kind of gloss over them and we don't really appreciate the fullness of what's in these hymns and I love this hymn, Wonderful Grace that gives what I don't deserve we don't, we don't deserve one iota of grace at all Wonderful Grace that gives what I don't deserve pays me what Christ has earned, then lets me go free, what a miracle isn't it? You and I tonight are miracles of God's amazing grace. Wonderful grace that gives me the time to change. We're going to talk about the change that grace makes in our lives. I was saying to Graham earlier on tonight um, about someone who came to me and said he, he was a relatively new Christian. And he got saved, he got baptized and into fellowship in the church. And he says, you know, I'm seeing some things, he says, in other Christians that... I don't think they're right. 
I said, really? He says, yeah. I said, that's the Spirit of God witnessing within you. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? Sorry, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. It's a different life. The old life is to go. The new life has come. And that's a work of grace in our hearts. Okay, Graham, that's fine. Let's move back on. I want to turn tonight to Romans chapter, <laughs> Romans chapter 6. Can we do that? And I just want to read a couple of verses and then we'll quickly move on and I need to finish in quarter of an hour which is going to be a, a miracle of God's grace <laughs> if I can finish in quarter of an hour anyway uh, Romans uh, chapter 6 and we're going to read just two verses here and Paul says writing to the church at Rome what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Or are we to in sin so that grace may increase? God forbid. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? That's, that's an amazing thing. Um, grace is a distinctive of Christianity. I want you to know that. Um, but Christian attribute of grace is used in different ways in the New Testament. There's saving grace, there's sanctifying grace, and there's sustaining grace. And there's some other aspects of grace. But I only want to look very quickly at these aspects, aspects of grace tonight. Paul frequently opens his letters with these words, grace and peace. And... Um, I was reading a story uh, many years ago uh, at a comparative religion conference in Oxford University. And the wise and scholarly were meeting together to debate the subject, what's unique about Christianity? And someone suggested that Christianity uh, was set apart from all other, all, all other religions. And what set it apart was the incarnation. But then it was pointed out that this is found in some other religions too. Others suggested the resurrection, but it was again pointed out that some other religions have accounts of people returning from the dead. Then, as the story was told, C.S. Lewis, the great famous 20th century Oxford Christian apologist, walked into the room, and after hearing a little of the debate, he said, what's all the rumpus about? We're debating what's unique about Christianity, they said. Oh, he says, that's easy. It's grace. Lewis continued by pointing out that only Christianity claims God's love comes free of charge with no strings attached. Isn't that wonderful? No strings attached. God's love comes with no strings attached. Buddhists follow an eightfold path to enlightenment. It's not free to all. Hindus believe in karma and that your actions determine your next life. Jews believe that we must keep God's law in order to be acceptable to God. And Islam, in Islam one must do certain actions to appease Allah, who is not a God of love. Only Christianity presents God who loves mankind unconditionally, so much so that he has devised a plan to provide salvation as a totally free gift that has to be received by faith plus nothing minus nothing salvation is a free gift from God the Bible tells us the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ 
our Lord. What is grace? Well, it depends on the context in which the word is used. The Bible actually uses the word grace in three distinct ways, and we've got them up there. So let's have a wee quick look at them. The first aspect of grace, and most important, is saving grace. The Bible tells us that by grace are ye saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Man has absolutely nothing to do with his own salvation. It comes from God alone. From a biblical perspective, saving grace can be defined as the action whereby God freely gives to unworthy recipients that which they don't deserve. We read that on the hymn, didn't we? That was quoted. Here's a wee acrostic. You'll probably have heard of this, but it's worthwhile looking at it again. Grace is nicely expressed in this well-known acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. What do we mean by that? What we mean quite simply is that when Jesus died on the cross, all the blessings that flow to you and I every moment of every day are a result of what Jesus achieved for us on the cross of Calvary. Isn't that wonderful? We have a wonderful saviour, don't we? And, and he, he just didn't die, he rose again for us, didn't he? That's what the Bible tells us. He rose again, and he ascended into heaven for us, didn't he? Because he's our great high priest who intercedes for us, doesn't he? With feelings which are absolutely fantastic. What a wonderful saviour we have. Then of course... Um, Everything of this passage actually drips of grace. By grace are ye saved through faith. I can, I can just sense the grace of God pouring out into our lives. That very moment that we come into contact with the living God. Isn't it wonderful? This miracle of God's miraculous grace. You and I have been blessed with. Hallelujah. Does that not excite you? I'm, I'm excited about what God has done in my life and about how much he has actually transformed me and made me a child of God. Paul explains that we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We have sinned against God. We have walked according to the course of the world. Satan and fulfilled the desires of our flesh and mind and we are by nature children of wrath. Now that's, that's an interesting statement now. By nature we are children of wrath. How many times have you heard people say, Oh, we're all God's children, aren't we? We're all God's children. Well, we are by creation, but not by redemption. God has created us, each one in his own image. But we are not every one of us born again. There's a world out there I would love to see being born again of the Holy Spirit. And there will be people out there in that world who from this day onwards, God will touch their heart and life and they'll come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Why do we need to be born again? 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And I was, I was kind of forced when I was studying this, after hearing the Tim Farn scenario and all the saga, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I just kind of get the impression that the press have kind of browbeat him out of politics and because of his Christian faith. Um, I don't know that he got everything right initially, 
I think he was trying to defend himself, but um, he certainly came out and made his statement quite clear. And I chose this verse specifically because it says, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Wow. And this is God's word. Do we believe it? Is God opposed to all of these things? Yes. He's not singling out one group. He's saying this is sin. And it has to be dealt with in the individual's life. When we come to Romans 1 and 2 and 3, you'll discover there that God has given them over to their own lusts. Men after men, women after women. And it's shocking. And we're seeing it, of course, in our world. And it's moving into every aspect of our society. You can't put a television on before it's in your face. What you and I would want to watch, we can't... It's getting to the stage where we can't choose now. You've just got to leave the television off. It's so bad. But the Bible tells us in the last days, things shall wax worse and worse. I tell you, there's a day coming when the Lord is coming back again. And the judgment upon the rejecting people in this world of Jesus Christ is going to be horrific. One of the other things that I had to oppose recently was the fact that, well, hell's not really a real place. Nobody knows what hell is like. They've never read Luke chapter 16. We have to come to the Bible and say, what does it say here? And the man that was cast into hell in Jesus is a storyteller. He's saying this. He says... Send someone that they might dip the tip of their finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flames. It's a horrific place. So we need to be born again of the Spirit of God. There's a transaction which takes place. And Paul says in in Ephesians, God showed us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness through Jesus Christ. Wow, what a wonderful gospel we have. It's not our gospel. Paul says it's my gospel. It is in a sense. Because he's recipients of all that this gospel means. But it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the reconciling power of the cross. Where Jesus died for all of us. And when we come into contact with the living God. Graham mentioned it tonight. The living God. Our God is not dead. He's alive. Isn't that wonderful? God is not dead. He's alive. We come into contact by the living God and he touches our hearts. And boy, oh, our lives become changed. That's a miracle of God's grace. And that's what this saving grace is really all about. There's a story told about a woman who went into the church. Her name was Mary. And she carried in a bucket of sand. I don't know if I've told this story before, have I? I don't think so. But she carried in this bucket of sand and she sat down in the pew right at the front of the church in front of the minister and he comes up into the pulpit and looks down and he sees old Mary with this bucket of sand. She says, Mary, what are you doing with a bucket of sand? Minister, she says, this bucket of sand that represents all my sins. Millions and millions of grains of sand. Every grain of sand represented her sin. And he says, she says, I want you to tell me how I can be rid of all of my sin. Look at it. 
Now you and I wouldn't want to have our sin plastered round about the walls, would we? Not in the slightest. Eh? Boy, oh, I certainly wouldn't anyway. I have to come constantly before the Lord and ask the Lord for forgiveness and seek his face and experience his sanctifying grace that prevents me from sinning. But there's old Mary. He says, Mary, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that bucket of sand down to the seashore and let the tide go out and I want you to turn it upside down and you'll see this big bucket of sand, this big pile. And she says, he says, I want you to stand back and watch the sea coming in. And as it laps that sand, that pile of sand you've poured out, which represents your sin, what do you think will happen? She says, I'll wash it all away. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross of Calvary. He washes your sin away. And she says, how can I apply that to my life? Believe. Whosoever heareth my word, said Jesus, and believes on him that sent me, hath eternal life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. Isn't that wonderful? How blessed an experience it is to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord tonight, I would urge you. I really would urge you before it's too late to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to go on to is the sustaining grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. I don't know, can you read that okay? Is that font large enough? Lest I should be exalted above measure, says Paul. Through the abundance of revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I asked of the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto thee, Me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. This is um, a fantastic text. And in this respect, grace is defined as the desire, will, and power to do God's will. Paul is saying here that he has achieved in his Christian life, what he has achieved in his Christian life was not by his own power, but by the grace of God working within him. I want to ask you, what is your experience as you live your Christian life? Do you experience the grace of God empowering you to live for him? To serve him? To walk with him? To do what he's commanding us to do. Because we can't do it any other way but by the grace of God. Paul says in Philippians, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you either desire to do God's will and if you ever do God's will, it is because God is giving you those desires and the power to act upon those desires. It's one thing to have a desire to do something for God. It's quite another thing for God to pour out his grace into your life and give you the power and authority to fulfill that desire, which should always be for the glory of God.
These scriptures teach that God operates in us and it is through his grace that we function in the Christian life. God commands us to love him. He then gives us the grace to love him. He then gives us the power that that commands us to serve him and he gives us the power to serve him. He commands us to love one another and he gives us the grace to love one another. And he gives us, he commands us to be holy and he gives us the grace to be holy. I've moved on slightly ahead here. We're going to sanctify in grace. By the grace of God I am what I am. By his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. I want to say to you today that when you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, be conscious of his grace being at work within you, enabling you to do the things that you would never believe that you could do. I have learned in my Christian experience to exercise faith. Like Peter, to step out of the boat into the water. And you know, when we do that, I think you'll be absolutely amazed at what God will do in your life when you step out of that boat into the water. He will give you grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. I remember many years ago, I was walking up through Airdrie and uh, there was an elder from our church at that time Tom would know him, John McCurley, uh, Tom. And, and John and I were walking up, John, uh, Paul, uh, John McCurley lived in Clarkson, and of course we were walking up, and all of a sudden I felt the Spirit of God saying to me, go and knock that door and witness concerning Jesus Christ. And I said, oh Lord, I don't even know these folk. I don't know what kind of house I'm going to. But I went and I did it. And John walked on, he carried on. So I was there on morning and I knocked the door. No reply. I said, well, the Lord's not asked me to knock a door for nothing. So I knocked the door again. The man came to the door. And when the man came to the door, he's all dressed in black. What do you want? I said, I want you to know you're of your father, the devil. And he stood back. What? They were in the house having a seance. I didn't know anything about it. But I stepped out in faith. I said, I want to tell you that Jesus died for your sin. And he wants to liberate you from the power of Satan at work in your life. How dare you, he says. How dare you. Satan is far greater than God. I said, well, I said, when you stand on the day of judgment before God and he casts you into hell, I said, you'll not be thinking about that. I don't know what happened to that man. He slammed the door shut in my face and I took off because I was scared. But it helped me to witness as a young man to this man in this house who was busy having a seance. And you know, the devil is at work in the world in different ways. Let me tell you another story. I went to visit a man one night. Um, it was a young man who was ill. He had been through a serious operation. And after I was finished visiting him, his father came through and said, come on through and join us for a cup of tea. Uh, it was a Christian. I said, well, look, I don't want to, interlook, uh, uh, to, to disrupt your, your, your friends. They had friends for supper and whatnot. 
no no he said you must come in I said okay now um, let me just say this very graciously they were from a very exclusive brethren background so he said how are you doing I said I'm doing fine what are you doing yourself this weather oh I said well last Saturday I was in Airbrick Town Hall in the middle of a wrestling ring with Jackie Boyd and Dunkey Donaldson and we had a captive audience of 400 people and we were witnessing to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and this old fellow was sitting in the corner he goes oh, what on earth were you doing in a place like that that's the devil's domain you should never be there oh I said the Bible says that where sin abounds grace does much more abound and I want to say this to you in your Christian witness you might be called to go into something that you don't think that you're capable of dealing with if God is moving your heart to do it do it by the power of the Holy Spirit he will enable you and he will give you all the grace and the wisdom and the knowledge that you need to witness in these circumstances don't hesitate God is wonderful it's amazing and you know I think we would learn uh, so much more about the amazing power of God if we just stepped out of the boat and experienced the grace that he pours into our lives in every circumstance that we come into. He's a wonderful God, isn't he? We have much to praise and thank him for. You see, he not only saves us by his grace, but he enables us to live by his grace. And he gives us the power and authority to do so by pouring into our circumstances grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. I want to say this to you tonight. Praise God for the wonderful grace of Jesus. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Isn't that wonderful? There is no sin there is nothing, regardless of how deep-rooted it is, regardless of how much we are entrenched in sin, there is nothing that God by his grace cannot touch. When he comes into our lives and he touches our lives, we should respond in repentance and faith and trust him. And we can, I tell you, see when we confess our sin to him, the wonderful working power of the blood of Christ, immediately our sins forgiven. And if our fellowship has been interrupted with God, all of a sudden that fellowship is reinstated. And the warmth and fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes so alive at that moment in time. I remember many years ago, my own life being affected by sin. And I thought nobody knew about it. And this dear brother came to me and says, Rob, he says, I need to talk to you. He says, what about... And of course he quoted the circumstances and I tell you I could have fell back. Couldn't believe it. How did you find out about that? Doesn't matter, he says. Is it true? I said yes. He says, you know what you need to do? I says, yes, repent. And I had to bow my knee before God. And you know the Spirit of God broke me. I wept. I wept. But I rejoiced also knowing that when Christ died on the cross, he died for those sins of mine. And I confessed them and was cleansed afresh and knew the power of God flowing through my life.
So praise God for this wonderful grace of Jesus. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And if you're not saved, I would urge you to trust God. Trust this gift of grace that he wants to give you. What a tragedy it would be to throw something away that was obtained at so great a cost. And yet for you, it is free. If you're saved already, God's grace ought to produce four responses. And I'll mention these very quickly because our time's up. First of all, such wonderful undeserved grace wrought at such a great sacrifice by our Lord ought to compel you to surrender your life wholly to God. Wow. That's really important. Really, really important. Secondly, when we ponder the incredible grace of God, it ought to motivate us to work and labour for such a giving and gracious God. Thirdly, during troubles and trials, come to the Lord for his sustaining grace. He will sustain you. Remember what Paul, the Lord said to Paul? He says, um, I will pour out my grace upon you. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Sometimes we are really down in the depths when it seems as if all of hell is let loose against us. But hear these words. My grace is sufficient for thee. You can appropriate it. Rest in it. And it will give you the strength to carry on through those most difficult times. Where do you find God's sustaining grace? In God's word. In the closet of prayer. And in the community of God's people. The church of Jesus Christ. And lastly. Don't use the grace of God as an excuse to continue in sin. The Bible tells us. That we will never be sinless. Until that day when the Lord comes back and our bodies are changed. We have a resurrected body. We have a brand new body. And, and, and we will ascend with him into glory. And this body will be likened unto his own glorious body. I, I, I can't begin to comprehend that. But we'll be sinless at that point in time. When we're united in glory with the Lord Jesus. And of course... What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The grace of God is there to counter sin and to prevent us from falling into it. Grace changes everything forever. Ephesians 2 and 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith. And what I would say to you tonight is live your life by the grace of God at work within you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight in the wonderful name of the Saviour. And we thank you that there is no one like you. We thank you for the saving grace. By grace are we saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. We thank you for the sustaining grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. And we thank you for the sanctifying grace. The grace that sets us apart. The grace that fills our heart. The grace that touches every part of our being. Grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. So we ask, Lord, that the transforming power of the Spirit 
will be active in our lives by the grace that you pour into our hearts. Help us to see as we approach your word, your amazing supernatural power in this wonderful thing called grace. And may our lives be lived to your glory as we seek to serve you. Pour out your spirit, Lord, upon us, upon this congregation, upon this town of Moody'sburn, upon this land of Scotland. Once more, O Lord, once more, as in the days of yore, on this dear land, thy spirit pour, set Scotland now on fire. You have changed us by your grace. May we go forth into the community. And may the community see the grace of God in us. And by seeing that grace, be touched by our lives to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you to bless this church. We ask you, Lord, that it will grow from strength to strength. That the believers will follow you. That they will magnify your name. That they will worship you. That their hearts will be opened, Lord, and there will be an outpouring of praise and worship to the throne of God. And Father, let it be heard. Let the songs of this place be heard in the community. So that by grace, by your amazing and wonderful grace, they will come to know you too. Hear our prayers this night. Thank you for this witness in this place. For we offer our prayers in the wonderful name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.